Welcome to World Footprints Radio, the show where we celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, World Footprints Radio. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to World Footprints, the multi-award winning show for travelers by travelers. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. Study abroad and global citizenship were front and center at the recent White House Travel Summit. The White House invited the most influential travel journalists and bloggers in the country to join administrative officials, policymakers, and thought leaders here in Washington, D.C. to discuss how the U.S. can build stronger relationships to the rest of the world with the help of young Americans, especially through study abroad programs. World Footprints was there, and today we will bring you some of the highlights from the speakers and panelists who spoke. Thanks, dear. The White House Travel Blogger Summit on Study Abroad and Global Citizenship brought to build on President Barack Obama's vision of studying, learning, and working together as a way to bring prosperity to the United States and the world. Ben Rhodes, President Obama's Deputy National Security Advisor for Strategic Communications and Speechwriting, addresses broadening America's engagement with the rest of the world through travel and study abroad. We want to broaden the way in which we're engaging people around the world uh, in every way possible. And you all have ideas, I think, to share um, about how to get more Americans uh, overseas, how to get more Americans uh, traveling and studying abroad. One way to broaden that engagement is through college students studying abroad. Even though the United States is a leader in higher education, it's critical to the nation's future that more college students have the skills to be effective global citizens that come through study abroad programs, says Evan Ryan, the Assistant Secretary of State for Educational and Cultural Affairs. One of our goals at the State Department is to help ensure that young Americans, our next generation of leaders, have the international skills they want and need for a globalized 21st century workforce. Studying, volunteering, and working abroad is a civic and economic imperative in building the workforce of tomorrow, as we learn from Patrick Dowd, the CEO of the Millennial Trains Project and editor-at-large for National Geographic Traveler. Global skills are really more about temperament than intellect, and that that, that global temperament includes being calm, being curious about other countries, wanting to be a part of something bigger than yourself. Creating more opportunity for future generations is how travel and tourism promotes economic success and national security for the United States and the entire world. So says Commerce Secretary Penny Pritzker. Through travel, a young person can learn firsthand the rhythm of daily life in another country, the nuances of other cultures, and how business is conducted in different communities across the planet. We hope you'll enjoy the highlights from the White House Travel Summit and consider expanding your global education with a trip abroad. I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and this is World Footprints. Visit and connect with us at worldfootprints.com. The White House Travel Bloggers Summit on Study Abroad and Global Citizenship sought to build on President Barack Obama's vision of studying, learning, and working together as a way to bring prosperity to the United States and the world. Ben Rhodes, President Obama's Deputy National Security Advisor for Strategic Communications and Speechwriting, addresses broadening America's engagement with the rest of the world through travel and study abroad. It's entirely consistent with... Um, a policy that President Obama has pursued in office, uh, which he summed up in his State of the Union when he said 
uh, earlier this year that expanding cultural and educational exchanges among young people uh, is really uh, a cornerstone of our effort uh, to engage uh, people around the world. Um, uh, I know we're particularly focused on uh, opportunities for Americans uh, to study abroad, to volunteer abroad. Um, I, uh, myself, was shaped by uh, that experience, as I know many uh, of you were. Um, I studied abroad in, in Paris, which in U.S. government terminology wasn't exactly a hardship post. Um, uh, I had a lot of fun, um, but I also you know, learned something about myself and about other people um, that uh, I could not have learned uh, anywhere in the United States. Um, and it helped shape who I am and, um, and, and the perspective that I brought to everything I've done ever since. Uh, and I think as we came in uh, to office and looked at this question of how America engages in the world, what we've been steadily focused on for the last six years um, is trying to broaden the scope uh, for engagement between the United States and, and government and people around the world. Um, and frankly, uh, we start from a position of, I think, recognizing that we have to catch up uh, because uh, people around the world engage each other in so many different ways with travel being much easier than it was even 10 or 20 years ago uh, with social media and other types of networks that are forming or organically. And I think what we're, we're seeking to tap into is the fact that um, for the United States uh, to truly thrive and for our people to thrive uh, in a globalized world, uh, we can't just rely on the traditional government-to-government contacts, business contacts, or even just traditional exchange programs, um, that we really need to get out of that uh, comfort zone um, because, frankly, uh, the engagements that are going to shape perceptions of the United States and shape uh, the experiences of the American people are, are largely the ones that are going to take place outside of uh, embassies uh, and consulates. It's going to be out in volunteer programs and educational exchange programs uh, where Americans are shaping the perception of our country uh, by the people they're engaging, uh, but Americans themselves are being shaped by uh, those experiences. Um, Fran uh, mentioned Burma uh, where there's been this historic opening uh, in terms of our diplomatic relations. But uh, in one of my trips there, what I was most struck by uh, is uh, the American Center where we have uh, young people teaching English um, and uh, doing other educational programs. Uh, we could not literally facilitate the number of people who wanted to be in those classrooms. Uh, and again, not only is that transforming the lives of people who are getting access to information that they wouldn't otherwise have, it's transforming the lives of the Americans who are doing those programs. Uh, uh, who are getting an experience that is, is truly unique. Um, so the first principle that I want to just put forward is we want to broaden the way in which we're engaging people around the world uh, in every way possible. And you all have ideas, I think, to share um, about how to get more Americans uh, overseas, how to get more Americans uh, traveling and studying abroad. Um, and I think that's part of what's so viable about today because what we hear from you uh, is going to be helpful to us as we design uh, our programs and policies. Uh, the other thing, and I'll speak to some of those specific policies in a moment, the other thing I really want to hit uh, at the top of this, though, um, is the fact that we're seeking to broaden and diversify the engagements that Americans have regionally around the world. Um, I am kind of the standard person uh, who went off to Europe with a Euro pass and had a good exchange program and traveled to European cities. Uh, I know a lot of Americans uh, increasingly are going to places like China, where they see uh, a future in the private sector. But the fact of the matter is, uh, it's a big world, and it's, an easy, it's much easier to access uh, the world today than it was in the past. And 
the entire world as we see such remarkable economic development and growth is going to be far more relevant uh, to the uh, experiences uh, of Americans than it was 50 years ago. So we have prioritized in our exchange programs and our engagement programs uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, Southeast Asia, uh, and Latin America, um, really emerging dynamic regions that haven't always been the destination for a broad number of Americans who are looking to study or volunteer abroad. Um, but we really want to raise awareness of how dynamic these places are, how much opportunity uh, there is for Americans uh, in their future lives, in their private sector careers, or in their public service careers uh, to be engaged in these regions. Um, so, th- again, the two principles that I want to just uh, lay down at the beginning of this conversation that we're having today is, number one, how do we get more Americans engaged overseas uh, in shaping uh, our own programs out of the U.S. government? Um, and also, how do we make sure that uh, we're looking at the whole world, uh, including emerging and developing regions, uh, as well as the traditional destinations for American uh, travel, tourism, and, and study abroad? Um, I'll just speak to a number of initiatives that I think uh, highlight what we're trying to do. Um, One is uh, the Young Leaders programs that we've launched. Uh, The Young African Leaders program is an initiative that we launched in Sub-Saharan Africa designed to tap into the fact that there's an enormous youth bulge in Africa, uh, huge populations uh, of people who are under 25 years old. Uh, And every single African country is a part of this program. Uh, They have a network of people uh, that is uh, over 50,000 who are connected virtually. We have an exchange program where we bring uh, several hundred uh, Africans here in the United States for mentorship, executive leadership training, um, and professional opportunities, uh, and they're able to engage with Americans. Uh, and we want to connect Americans who are going to Africa with this growing network of very impressive uh, young Africans who are participating and engaging with the U.S. government in this way. Um, we've recently broadened that to a Young Southeast Asian Leaders Program uh, that is in the 10 ASEAN countries of Southeast Asia, uh, recognizing there, too, that we have a, a, an enormous youth bulge that we want to tap into and forge relationships. Um, there's a program uh, that uh, we've been very invested in in the Americas called 100,000 Strong in the Americas. Uh, and what we did with this program is we looked at study abroad in terms of Americans studying in Latin America and Latin Americans studying in the United States, uh, and the numbers were minuscule. Uh, given uh, the bilingual nature of our society and given how much um, commerce uh, and education and science uh, crosses uh, the border to our south, uh, we wanted to hit the number of 100,000 Americans traveling and studying abroad, I, mean, I should say, in Latin America uh, and 100,000 Latin American students coming here to the United States. Uh, and we've steadily built up those numbers towards that goal. Uh, an- another program I'd highlight as uh, us trying to find non-traditional ways of connecting Americans uh, to others overseas is uh, the Chris Stevens Initiative. Um, Chris Stevens, as you know, is the ambassador uh, who tragically lost his life in the Benghazi attacks, but he had worked his whole life in the Middle East and North Africa. And what we were creating is uh, a virtual exchange program, uh, recognizing that these are, uh, in some cases, dangerous environments where you're not going to have uh, the ability to have a study abroad experience. We can leverage technology to connect potentially millions of people um, through online exchanges. Uh, and this is a new area uh, of travel and exchange where uh, I think we also want to hear your ideas about how we can use technology to connect Americans here in the United States uh, to uh, individuals uh, around the world who they wouldn't otherwise have a connection with, that they can learn from uh, and forge connections with. Uh, so these are the types of programs that we're trying to do that go beyond traditional scholarships and exchange programs, but that promote Americans going overseas or uh, other people coming here to the United States 
um, through either technology uh, or other networks that the U.S. Gov- government can forge. Um, the Peace Corps uh, has uh, really tried uh, and to go out of its way to align uh, its volunteer opportunities uh, with these emerging regions. Uh, and I know you have the Peace Direct- Corps director here later today. Uh, she's done some extraordinary things in broadening the way in which people can apply to the Peace Corps. Uh, you can now specify, for instance, where you'd like to go, um, which can make it a more attractive option for people rather than just being flunked down somewhere um, at random. Uh, there's an ability for people uh, to say, I want to be in this country, this region, and shape their Peace Corps experience. Uh, we've already seen that dramatically uh, lead to an increase in, in Peace Corps volunteers, which uh, is something that's very important as we, uh, again, seek to broaden the aperture in U.S. engagement uh, around the world. Um, so this is something that we're putting a lot of resources into, and we're doing it, um, again, not just out of uh, some altruism, we believe it's in America's interest, uh, that to keep up in today's world, uh, to prepare young people to succeed, uh, their education abroad, their contacts abroad, their knowledge of foreign languages and cultures, uh, that's going to be an asset that they're going to carry with them throughout their entire lives. Uh, similarly, if we are engaging uh, young people overseas, uh, those are relationships that are going to benefit us uh, as a country. Um, whether or not those people become leaders in government or industry uh, in their countries, those are going to be important contacts for us. When we saw, for instance, uh, so many protests taking place in the Arab world beginning in 2011, uh, oftentimes the young people participating who we might not know uh, from our traditional embassy engagements, um, but who we did know uh, because of an exchange program, uh, because they had participated in a a U.S.-sponsored exchange program because they had a a contact of somebody uh, that they'd met through an entrepreneurship program. Uh, The more we're broadening uh, the way in which we're engaging societies abroad, the more we're going to get to know the future leaders of tomorrow in countries, particularly as countries become uh, more democratic going forward. Uh, We recognize that this is not a U.S. government uh, effort alone, uh, and in some cases it shouldn't be a U.S. government-led effort. Uh, These need to be truly public-private partnerships to attract more people, uh, to be more entrepreneurial, not that the federal government is in a very nimble uh, entity, um, but often the best ideas uh, come from universities, NGOs, businesses that are, are, are starting to take on a bigger footprint in some of these countries, uh, and in some cases individuals, uh, uh, I think, who have uh, the best understanding of the texture uh, of what's taking place in different parts of the world. But the U.S. government can be a convener, as we are today. Uh, we can bring people together uh, around an idea, uh, whether that's building out an exchange program at a university, uh, whether or not that's finding internship opportunities for people who want to work overseas, uh, or whether or not that's getting behind uh, development and philanthropic work uh, with what USAID can do. Um, There's a lot of ways in which the United States government uh, can plug into uh, good ideas that are are happening, uh, uh, good networks that are being built overseas, uh, and that's what we want to continue to do. Uh, and again, I think that can be a, an important uh, focus here today. Um, so what we want to do uh, is, is figure out in talking to you, uh, where can we make the most difference? Um, where should we be looking um, regionally uh, at expanded uh, exchanges, expanded uh, education overseas? What types of partnerships can be forged um, uh, outside of government? Um, you know, all of you, I think, will have good ideas uh, about uh, how to do that. The other thing, though, that we want to, uh, uh, I think, focus on today is how we can raise awareness for Americans uh, of the opportunity and the value uh, of travel and study abroad. Um, you know, because oftentimes it's kind of uh, by chance. You know, um, 
think back in your life um, at how um, coincidental it is uh, that something happened that might have changed the course of your life. You happen to have a teacher uh, who pulled you aside and said, hey, have you ever thought of studying abroad? Uh, or you may have had someone in your family uh, who came from uh, another country uh, who recommended that uh, you pursue uh, travel or an interest in that country. Um, you know, that's a chance that some of us had, um, but it's a chance that everybody should have. Uh, and that includes people who come from less privileged backgrounds, uh, people who might think that this is out of their reach, uh, people who might think that they're not in the income bracket, oh, study abroad, that's for someone who has a lot of money, uh, that's for someone whose parents travel with them overseas to Europe. Um, that's not uh, the message that we want to convey. We want all Americans to recognize that there is a value um, in studying abroad. There's a value uh, in engaging people uh, around the world. Uh, there's a value personally. Uh, there's also a value professionally. Uh, and there are resources available to them. Uh, and I think oftentimes people don't recognize uh, the resources that they can tap into, both from the U.S. government and from the private sector, uh, to facilitate that type of experience that uh, can have a profound impact on, on, on the rest of their lives. One way to broaden that engagement is through studying abroad by college students. Even though the United States is a leader in higher education, it's critical to the nation's future that young people have the skills to be global citizens that comes through study abroad programs, says Evan Ryan, the Assistant Secretary of State for Educational and Cultural Affairs. The United States is a leader in many glo global fields, including higher education, and one of our goals at the State Department is to help ensure that young Americans, our next generation of leaders, have the international skills they want and need for a globalized 21st century workforce. We know the interest is there. Over half of U.S. students enter university with expectations of participating in study abroad. However, fewer than 10% actually take part in study abroad over their entire academic careers. In 2012 to 2013, the total number of U.S. students taking part in study abroad was under 300,000. On the surface, this number sounds terrific until you realize this is only 1.5% of the almost 20 million American students enrolled in U.S. higher education during the same period. 1.5 percent. It's a very stunningly low number. Fifteen years ago, there were nearly 130,000 U.S. students studying abroad, with this number more than doubling by 2012-2013 to 289,000. Yet with the current rate of annual growth, which is approximately 2 percent, it will take another 35 years to double again. This is not acceptable. We must do better, and we can do better. American students face many real and perceived constraints to studying abroad. They may be hesitant to take leave from the universities and colleges where they study, fearing a loss of progress towards the de their degree completion. For those who rely on income derived from employment, both the short-term loss of income as well as potential increased cost of education for study abroad may prove too daunting. It is always difficult to say goodbye to family and friends who may worry about your safety and your security. It is also intimidating to navigate daily life in a foreign culture and language, and students may also express concerns about missing out on events and activities 
while away from their home campuses. Nevertheless, we firmly believe that encouraging American students to study abroad is a strategic imperative for the United States. And responses from students who are returning from international experiences validate the importance of study abroad on a more personal level as well. After the break, more from the White House Travel Summit as Commerce Secretary Penny Pritzker speaks to the connection between travel, tourism, and national security. Through travel, a young person can learn firsthand the rhythm of daily life in another country, the nuances of other cultures, and how business is conducted in different communities across the planet. Next, as World Footprints continues. Hi, this is Juan Cunningham of Suitcase Farmers coming at you from Lansing, Michigan. And we love listening to World Footprints Radio. Happy holidays, everybody. This is Dave Koz for RAD, recording artists, actors, and athletes against drunk driving. When you're traveling during the holidays and see someone who's had too much to drink about to get behind the wheel of their car, get the car keys. Your friends will thank you for it because friends don't let friends drive drunk. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. My name is Madeline Phyllis Cunningham, a grandmother of uh, Ian and Tanya, and I just love to travel with the world footprints. I enjoy every moment of it. You're listening to World Footprints Radio, awarded as the best travel audio podcast by the North American Travel Journalists Association. Here's Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Ian Fitzpatrick. Studying volunteerism and working abroad was the key focus of the Travel Summit. National Security Council Senior Director and Spokesperson Bernadette Meehan leads off the discussion. I fully believe in the power of study abroad. I'm a huge proponent of it. I'm thrilled to be here with all of you and with this esteemed panel. Uh, so what I thought I would do is uh, sort of dive right in in the interest of time um, and throw out some questions to all of you to get a conversation started with the audience. Um, and I would like to start with Patrick, actually, uh, and ask you, as we look out to people and as people are trying to decide, you know, why is it worth my time to study abroad, um, I would ask you, what global skills do you look for an employee? When, when you look at to hire someone, um, what sort of global skill set do you look at when you're deciding whether someone is a good fit for your organization? Here's Patrick Dowd, the CEO of the Millennials Trains Project and National Geographic Traveler Magazine's editor-at-large. Well, I think that uh, knowledge of current events and geography is important, but that global skills are really more about temperament than intellect. And that that, that global temperament includes being calm, being curious about other countries, wanting to be a part of something bigger than yourself and being able to collaborate with others, or in a word, being diplomatic and curious about the world. So I think that whether that's someone that's uh, being part of the Millennial Trains Project or people that I like to work with and, and, and enjoy working with, that it's really that kind of temperament, and that temperament is really honed through travel. That is a great answer. I would pose the same question to Paula, if I may, because when I was looking at, at the descriptions, I thought, the editor-in-chief of Yahoo Travel, how do I get that job, and what global skills would you be looking for when trying to find someone to fill that job after you? Paula Froelich, editor-in-chief at Yahoo Travel, lends her voice to the discussion. You know, I actually agree with you, but then about the curiosity, that 
is what journalism is about for me. It's intellectual curiosity. It's really nothing more. It makes a great journalist. But I also just kind of feel like we're talking about all this study abroad and what we can do. And, you know, Yahoo Travel does do a lot. We have programs for college kids where they're studying abroad and they can make money by blogging for us. We pay absurdly low rates, as some of you in this room know. Um, but who doesn't want a free beer? And so we, we look at this as really important. I have long held, and this is kind of uh, crazy and perhaps a little self-centered, that traveling and tourism in and of itself is a way to fight things like terrorism or drug, drugs and these kind of things. And it's getting people out there showing the communities that, you know what, this is an alternative way to make money, showing people who are traveling these are people that you actually care about because you've met them, and then bringing the stories back home. So we actually have boots on the ground in the college community, but I also think that we're narrowing the subject a little too much to millennials and people in college because we are also seeing something with zeitgeist going on right now with baby boomers and Gen Yers and Gen Xers who are actually a little fed up and furious. Um, they're looking at the millennials and they're like, oh, look at you. You're 26 and you're worth 10 million. I hate you. And oh, look at you. You don't get to have to work in an office all day long, nine to five. Hmm. Um, and they're also really annoyed because they're going out and they're like, you know what? Here's the deal. I did what you told me to do. I was 17 years old. I picked a major and I picked a career and now I'm 40. I might be divorced. The divorce rate is pretty high. And you know what? What? I did everything you told me to do and I'm not happy. And we're finding a lot of people are doing later study abroad. We actually just wrote a big article about it. And is that something that involves working or volunteering or studying or research when, when people go later in life, what does that program look like? It actually, it actually is both. Um, you know, especially because if we look at economics and people are talking about the expense, and I, don't, I also don't think that we're talking about the expense properly, um, because wouldn't that be cool if Turkish Airlines, who I believe is a sponsor of this, wouldn't that be awesome if Turkish Airlines came and said, you know what, for those people who can't afford study abroad, we will fly you there. Because, you know, when we talk about the cost of college, it's also the cost of the airline tickets and the meals and all that other stuff. So that would be kind of cool. It's, you know, thinking out of the box, hate that phrase. Um, but it is, you know, I just think it is working. And for older people, it's, you know, we get it. We're going to find a job. Well, you touched on an interesting topic. And, of course, I remember back in, in my days of study abroad, I actually uh, had a scholarship. Uh, that is how my parents allowed me to go from uh, fundraising and bake sales in my town. I had a very uh, study abroad-oriented town. It was great. We had a community that, that funded this. Um, this was, of course, as I said, back before the days of Internet and all of this. So I'd ask the rest of the panel, you know, crowdsourcing, all of these different types of ideas. Um, what has your experience been to any member of the panel um, in looking for creative ways to help those who might not traditionally be able to afford study abroad, um, looking for ways of sponsoring, raising money themselves, um, applying for a job uh, outside of the traditional, maybe there are programs available through a Department of State or through colleges uh, or universities? Oh. And I'd open that up to any of you who, who have creative ideas for folks out there who, who are looking to study abroad. i got a million of them. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually super passionate about traveling. It changed my life. And, you know, again, beyond the Turkish Airways thing, I think that you guys have great programs. People just don't know what they are, and you're not getting the message out properly. Um, and it's also, you know, just look at the basics. It's not just the schools. A lot of schools don't give college credits for abroad. So, yeah, you can go study abroad, but you're still going to be a junior.
but cool, all your friends are going to graduate without you. And, you know, and it's just, I think it's working with companies. There's plenty of companies also in this room that can offer people jobs and say do an internship. And by internship, I don't mean slave labor where people don't get paid. Um, I'd like to turn to Jonathan for a second. Um, there are a lot of innovative ideas that we hear of um, from companies like the ones that these guys represent. But when you think about the U.S. government, we heard from uh, from Evan, from Dennis, from Ben about some of these really great programs. From the White House point of view, um, what would you say is the benefit to the U.S. government promoting these types of opportunities? A lot of global issues out there. Why is this important? Here's Jonathan Greenblatt. Special Assistant to President Obama and Director to the Office of Social Innovation and Civil Participation. We think this is incredibly important to have not only a workforce that's literate and conversant, not just in sort of STEM, which matters a ton, but in sort of a more global environment that we're operating in. So we think it's absolutely crucial. And I would say, as again, someone who also studied abroad, I was in Spain, uh, just like Dennis, and as someone who's both a grandchild of immigrants and married to an immigrant who lives in a multilingual household, this is just so crucial. I mean, it's really essential for Americans to understand our place in the world because uh, we don't live in this kind of like Copernican place. I and mean, the fact of the matter is it's a very multipolar environment. So we think it's important to educate and to prepare our people, you, all of us, for this globalized environment in a couple of ways. One of which is through things like studying abroad and travel, which matter a ton. The other thing we really believe in is service. And Dennis mentioned this. And there was a question from somebody over here about service. And in the there, hi, hi, good shout out to you. So uh, in the Office of Social Innovation, we are very focused on doing what we can to encourage and make it easier for Americans to serve. And we have great traditions of military service, and there are folks who are in public service, like many of us who work in the administration. But I'll just mention briefly what we're trying to do around national service. And you're going to hear from the incredibly talented uh, Carrie uh, Hessler-Radlett later, who's the head of the Peace Corps, who is awesome and is doing amazing things to make it easier to apply and get into the Peace Corps. We're also working on programs like AmeriCorps that allow ordinary Americans to serve in their own communities. And then there are terrific nonprofits out there with a global focus, particularly on the developing world, which encourage young people to serve. Groups like um, Global Citizen Year. Anyone heard of Global Citizen Year? Wow, only a handful of you. Well, you all know it soon enough. <laughs> what they are doing and what the really talented uh, social entrepreneur who's running it is driving is a program where all Amer- where young kids who are going to college will do a citizen year before they go to college. So they apply, they get accepted, and then they go and spend a year serving abroad in a nonprofit developing world. Or other or great organizations like um, American Jewish World Service, Jesuit Volunteer Services, Catholic Relief Services, a bunch of faith-based ones. So basically, we think young people, people of all ages, need to be prepared for a globalized economy. And studying abroad, traveling abroad, and serving abroad are strategies to get, the, get our people ready for that world. I'd like to turn to Daniela for a section. And I understand that Generation Study Abroad is working to double the numbers uh, of students and others going abroad. How can external partners be part of that effort? Um, what are you doing to actually reach out to people across the United States to say, hey, this is in your interest. Here are the resources that you have. Where can people go to find support to try and, to try and launch themselves overseas and experience these wonderful 
wonderful things. Danielle Kaiseth of the Institute of International Education offers some insight. I studied abroad as well. I studied in Italy, but then I also studied in Canada, and then I studied in India. So I think, you know, I, I got I got progressively more, hitting progressively. the different regions. And, um, no, thank you for your question. Um, Generation Study Abroad is a great initiative of the Institute of International Education to double the number of Americans who study abroad by 2019, by the end of the decade. Um, and really, external partners are very key to this project, and we would like to ask for help in breaking down the barriers to study abroad. Um, one is cost, and scholarships are so key to breaking down that barrier. Um, scholarships from U.S. government, of course, from foundations and corporations, um, and from universities. 300 universities have joined Generation Study Abroad. Um, the other barrier is curriculum. And very simply, many universities don't integrate um, study abroad into their curriculum well enough. And so we would like help from universities to integrate study abroad into the curriculum. Um, this would be wonderful in terms of external partners. Um, and the third barrier I would like to raise with you is one of culture. Um, so it's, it's very important to know that um, there are underrepresented groups in study abroad. Minorities is one, as the Assistant Secretary said, but also men are underrepresented in study abroad, which is an interesting finding. Um, and also science and technology students are underrepresented. Um, so in terms of culture, we need to really change the paradigm of study abroad. We need to change the image of study abroad, and we need external partners to do this. And I think that this group in particular would be really wonderful to help change the paradigm of study abroad. And if I could ask for just one thing, it would be for all the travel bloggers just to do one post this year that shows an American study abroad, a minority student or a technology student or even a man would be great. And just to really share that post and their and thereby encourage more Americans to study abroad. Penny Pritzker, Secretary of the U.S. Department of Commerce, says that creating more opportunity for future generations is how travel and tourism promotes economic success and national security for the United States and the entire world. This summit focuses on two things that are near and dear to my heart. First, how can we create a better environment for our young people by increasing their opportunity to learn about the world and economy in which they are going to compete. And second, how the growth of travel and tourism in the United States is critical for our economic success. I believe that understanding the many norms and business practices outside of our country and valuing and learning from diverse peoples and cultures strengthens our national security and our economy. As a parent, I have encouraged my own children to travel abroad, not simply for fun, but to develop a greater cultural sensitivity and appreciation for the beautiful mosaic that is our world today. I know that my children and I have been blessed to have the ability to travel. Not every American has the same opportunity. And it's my hope, though, that more Americans, and especially more of our young people, can have the same experience that we've been blessed to have. Indeed, travel outside of our borders can add a new dimension to a person's social, and cultural intelligence, and one's knowledge of how people abroad interact with one another, how they do business together, how they relate to us. 
travel abroad helps a person to understand the norms and practices may be different in Accra or Athens or Beijing or Buenos Aires. But we are all tied together by a basic human connection. Our similarities vastly outnumber our differences. In this day and age, more and more employers want to hire people with a true worldview, with the adaptability and openness that comes with having experienced other cultures. In fact, a MetLife survey found that 65% of Fortune 1000 executives identified global awareness as very important or essential in order to be ready for a career. As a nation, we should be do everything we can to encourage more of our young people to experience far-off lands. Because the exposure to destinations and people outside the United States can have a profound effect on one's perspective. Through travel, a young person can learn firsthand the rhythm of daily life in another country, the nuances of other cultures, and how business is conducted in different communities across the planet. Through travel, Americans can interact with their peers and counterparts beyond our borders, meeting people face-to-face -to, -face to exchange ideas and insights. Through travel, all of us, from the United States or elsewhere, can come to appreciate one another's customs, backgrounds, traditions, ultimately making us more willing and able to find common ground. That is why international education can be so important, why we should encourage more students to study and work abroad. This is why we should work together in business, government, and academia to afford more young Americans the opportunity to travel, to deepen their cultural fluency, so they can better compete and succeed in the 21st century. One way the Obama administration is taking the lead on this front is through 100,000 strong in the Americas. This is an initiative to expand the number of U.S. students studying in Latin America and the number of Latin American students coming to the United States. As part of this effort, U.S. colleges are partnering with schools in Central and South America to develop new study abroad programs, each with a very specific focus, ranging from biotechnology and sustainable agriculture to climate change and healthcare. To help advance our goals, we have partnered with the ExxonMobil Foundation and the Freeport McMoran Foundation to support educational exchanges in Latin American countries focused on the STEM fields. Amandine Gutali is one beneficiary of these programs. Born in Rwanda, she's an American student working towards a degree in environmental engineering and Spanish. This past spring, Amandine studied and interned for a Chilean engineering company. She had the opportunity to not only apply her engineering background in a different environment, Chile, but to expand her language skills and develop her global fluency. Amandine said 
and I quote, this program opened up many different doors and allowed her to acquire skills in communication and connection. Ideally, more young Americans would have the chance to get this important cultural, technical, and language exposure, as Amandine did in Chile. These connections can be critical to American competitiveness today and into the future. We all know the importance and economic value of young Americans studying and working abroad, but we also need more international students traveling here to the United States. This, too, is essential to our mutual understanding as well as our economic growth and can have an enormous impact over the long run. Take, for example, China's President Xi Jinping. In 1985, as a low-level Chinese government official, he spent a few weeks in Muscatine, Iowa, learning about American agriculture. He stayed with a local family. He met local leaders and farmers. He engaged with the local community. And 27 years later, he made a point of returning to Muscatine to see his old friends and hosts, this time as China's vice premier. In the decades since his time in Iowa, President Xi has called this experience transformative, giving him a deeper appreciation for our country, our culture, and our people. Today, he understands the vital importance of creating more opportunities for interaction between our nations, our communities, and our peoples. I know President Obama agrees. To that end, just a few weeks ago, both presidents announced a significant agreement to encourage more travel between the United States and China by extending the validity of tourist and business visas from one year to 10 years and student visas from one year to five years. What this means is starting now, American and Chinese travelers will not have to apply for a new visa each year, making travel easier and less costly. This is a big deal. <laughs> this is smart policy, <laughs> and this smart policy change could do more for U.S.-China relations and mutual understanding than almost any other policy initiative. This will enable more people-to-people -people engagement between America and China. And the better we understand one another, the more opportunity we will have to engage on many levels, including the economic level. I know it is the hope of President Obama and President Xi that this agreement will bring our peoples, our students, and our businesses closer together. Coming up, the power of transformative travel and the role millennials can play in building the next generation of global citizens. So they're looking for what is uniquely authentic and life. And that's one of the keys for our messaging is how can we talk to them in that way, in a, in a really authentic way. And travel, there's nothing more authentic than the experience, the culture exchange that comes from that. So we have to do that. Next, as World Footprints continues. Hi, I'm Nancy from Lansing, Michigan. I'm here in New Orleans. And I enjoy listening to the World Footprints Radio. 
More than 100 million wild animals are killed each year illegally. Poaching is a major threat to our country's wildlife. I'm Tom Barry. I'm an actor with a desire to preserve living space for wildlife. The Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust does just that. Works with private landowners to protect wildlife to preserve natural habitats. To learn more or to work with the Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust, call 800-729-SAVE. That's 800-729-SAVE. Or visit wildlifelandtrust.org. Thank you. Hello, my name is Minnie Johnson. I'm from Ann Arbor, Michigan. I really enjoy listening to the World Footprints radio show whenever I have an opportunity to do so. I've gained so much information from the show. And now, more of World Footprints Radio with your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. Another theme of the White House Study Abroad and Global Citizenship Summit was cultural exploration and the transformative power of travel, a subject near and dear to my heart. Robert Reed, the digital nomad for National Geographic, offers his thoughts on transformative and immersive travel. Do you remember uh, Luke Skywalker in Star Wars when he first gets his lightsaber? And he's on the Millennial Falcon, you know, and he was just saved by the Tusken Raiders, and he's kind of waving it around, and he turns it off, and he's just in awe. He's looking at it. He's completely speechless with what this device he holds in his hand. And Obi-Wan Kenobi comes up to him, taps him on the shoulder, and says, Yeah, he's, yeah. <laughs> Luke, this is the first step into a larger world. First step into a larger world. Ain't that travel? I mean, isn't that what we're talking about today, really? I mean, I think we're all unified by the idea that if we go to places and immerse ourselves in different cultures, it not only expands our view of what the world is, but what our home is when we come back. Someone was trying to get young people to go do this once and said that the most important thing, sorry, uh, that was people, how they do this is that they go and they quote, do the same work as people do in those places. They eat the same food. They speak the same language. This was JFK in 1961, pressing go on the Peace Corps. These are not new ideas, but this is a new time in the sense that this is really the golden age of travel. It's never been easier to travel farther. There's never been more people traveling and more destinations are people going to. But I think there's another difference that's happening in travel before our very eyes. It used to be travel, people would go to see things. You know, think Chevy Chase and vacation. He goes to the Grand Canyon. He gives it a two-second shrug and moves on. Check it off the list, right? And now we see people traveling to do things more, I think. Traveling away from normal travel activities like double-decker buses, even museums, etc. Living in local neighborhoods, eating local foods, maybe taking a cooking class or something because they believe that immersing themselves will give them a better understanding of that place. I think I know the future because I think we already see it. That's travel not to see or do, but travel to make things. Travel to make things. The trip itself is a means of acquiring experiences or quotes or photos or data to create something. And I don't think that you have to be on a program. I don't think you have to be studying or working necessarily. I think individuals can do that. You know, I work for National Geographic, and they have study uh, student expeditions that sends high school students around the world on these conservation projects. And there's a, uh, um, um, a young uh, woman by the name of Katie Jacobs in a small town of Georgia who went last year to Namibia. And she came back and she said, quote, I wrote it down because I thought it was cute. She had so transformed by her experience. 
I want to take everything I had learned in Namibia and apply it somehow. Katie wanted to make something. The difference is she did. She's making a kid's book on poaching and for rhinos and working on wildlife preservation to pass it on to kids in the United States. It's a perfect example of making travel. Earlier, Patrick Dowd was here talking about the Millennial Trains. And last year, I got to the, the pleasure of being the Gen X passenger on the Millennial Train across this country. The cynic, you know, you know, deeply embarrassed by my, you know, underachieving compared to these people taking their projects across the, the country. And I was the travel mentor on this train a couple times uh, this year as well. And the, the question that I kept hearing from people, I thought it would pass on because I thought it was fascinating. People weren't asking me, you know, what are the best beaches? They didn't want to know the best airport bars in Europe. They didn't want to know what D.C. hotels have the best thread count. They were interested in how to do it. They were interested, how do we get deeper into a place if we have a short amount of time even, a couple days? How do we understand how that place works and live? How do we have authentic experiences? Authentic is a tricky word. I love that. How, not where. Now, we talk about study abroad. I'm not sure I know all the limits of what study abroad is because I feel that I study abroad every time I leave the country. And it defies age and, and any place that you go. I'm there to learn something that I can bring back. And when we think about this, we think about travel that we believe, that travel understands the world better than anyone else. And we believe that any kind of experience that we have anywhere is destination agnostic, that you can have some kind of experience with people that's meaningful and worth remembering anywhere you go. Now, who to do that? You know, I would like to think that there's the, the, the weirdest sight I've ever seen is 100 travel bloggers in the, world, in, in the White House. Seriously. <laughs> do you, I mean, you realize... You realize every liquor cabinet in the White House has been raided already. <laughs> Don't be just bloggers. If we want to have careers and we want to do the right thing, whatever the message may be, we need to be leaders, mentors, experts in travel. I guess that's our lightsaber, you know, and this mic is Obi-Wan Kenobi or something like that. <laughs> Thank you. Here's Robin Goldberg of the Minerva Project on making study abroad more accessible to students. First, let's reimagine what study abroad is. So I'll, I'll tell you there are extreme examples, things like what we're doing at Minerva, where the students don't live in one place for four years. They actually live in up to seven different countries over the course of four years. So first year in San Francisco, then a semester in Berlin, a semester in Buenos Aires, a semester in Hong Kong, a semester in Mumbai, a semester in London, a semester in New York. Get out and see the world. So let's reimagine what study abroad is. I'm also going to say, let's reimagine the study abroad offices. How many of you at orientation said, I want to study abroad? Well, most of you did. But what ends up happening is that office is across campus and in the basement of some building. Bring it to the forefront. So that's the first thing to start breaking down the barriers. Second thing, and it was mentioned today already, we need to go out and help students understand that that experience of, of traveling abroad is going to be valued. And that's right, they will get jobs, they will have the opportunities, but we need to make sure that they know they're not passing something up by doing that. So again, our collective responsibility to go out and make that message heard. Third thing, we talked about, and it came up in one of the panels about academics abroad. It's a huge concern, and why? Because American schools have some of the best education. So why would you go abroad and miss that opportunity? So we need to make sure that curriculum is as strong when students are studying abroad as when they're studying here in the States. 
We have something that enables that today. It wasn't there 20 years ago, 50 years ago. It's called technology. Technology allows us to teach in ways never before possible. Look, we've got a camera. We're streaming live right now. Not that I think a lecture is a very good format, but <laughs> it's a way to share. There are also technologies though, that allow collaboration. And there are technologies that allow us to take the classroom out of being physical and out of being tied to any geographic place. And I think that opens up some amazing opportunities for those STEM students or the business school students or those who feel they can't leave because of a set curriculum. And the fourth barrier is the financial barrier. And it's a tough one. It is a big, big challenge. We need programs that are less expensive than everything else out there. There are some that are happening. Minerva is one of them, but there are others out there. The other thing we have to challenge is that financial aid can transfer to study abroad. And one of the biggest challenges is the work study because it's hard to work on uh, study abroad programs. So we need to find ways to facilitate that. But I think there are definitely some opportunities out there. So is there hope, right? We just talked about 50% want to go abroad, only 10% do. Well, I think there are, and I think the hope comes with innovation and reimagination. And I'll speak to just a couple of programs that are out there, but I'm happy to talk to folks after about other ones. But look what NYU has done, opening up campuses in Abu Dhabi and in Shanghai. Look what Northeastern is doing, Northeastern University, that's setting up internships and experiential learning programs. And as I mentioned, places like Minerva that are looking at how do we provide an amazing university experience that isn't tied to one single geographic location. I think all of these programs will do a lot to prepare our youth to go be the future leaders and innovators of this world. And it's incumbent upon all of us to just encourage them to go. James Howard, National Brand Coordinator for iHeartRadio, one of the networks that carries world footprints, talks about millennials traveling and studying abroad. 23% of millennials are college educated. It's the, the, the highest level of educated individuals in any generation in U.S. history. 39% of those people are still in school. Huge opportunity that we have right here. So do you think that we can get this done? We can absolutely get this done. Uh, and part of it is because the, this generation is, is finding their footing a little bit slower. Uh, they are entering a job market uh, that uh, this administration uh, inherited and is now really growing, by the way. Uh, so uh, they, they are growing into that. And by the way, generations that start off with a slow footing compared to maybe the baby boomers and the, gen and the generation Xers, it's not a bad thing. It, it sometimes can be a vaccination for failure when you start off in a place and then grow from there. I was a little jealous of Robert for making it rain, so I want to... I dropped that for a second. That was cool, man. I just uh, I appreciate that because um, I have extra notes here. I was expecting the podium, but sitting is actually kind of more comfortable. Uh, so these people are really fascinating people, the millennials. They, they value authenticity. Uh, they aren't looking for material things. They're not buying expensive cars. They're not going to big houses, which will be an issue for baby boomers when they sell their big houses to no one. Um, so they're looking for what is uniquely authentic in life. And that's one of the keys for our messaging is how can we talk to them in that way, in a, in a really authentic way. And travel, there's nothing more authentic than the experience, the culture exchange that comes from that. So we have to do that. We have to be clever about our messaging. We have to be specific to what they want. Uh, how are we writing our headlines? Is it, are we just disseminating information or are we creating a conversation? It has to be about conversation. Uh, when you're uh, you know, talking about what cool hotel you're at, are you just saying it's a cool hotel or are you inviting them into that? 
And I know that we all have different opinions on that. I mean, you know, a lot of these uh, these tweets that we're looking up here, you know, one person may think that's a stupid hotel. Why would you go to another person? Like, no, it's a great hotel. Uh, we, we need to be on the same page as a group. As we heard up here on this podium, uh, we are more powerful together, a united front in this room. Uh, together, we can make this thing happen. If we're individualistic and we're not on the same page, we don't have the same message. No one is going to hear the message because there's so much noise for these millennials to hear it. Um, here at our company at iHeartMedia, we're the, actually the largest media company in the United States, bigger than Google, bigger than Facebook. I know that sounds crazy. It's actually true. We talk to 245 million people every month and 69 million millennials specifically. And I wanted to say on behalf of our – I can't believe I'm saying something on behalf of my company. What are they, nuts? But I'm on stage. Why not? They gave me a microphone. Uh, we are going to pledge everything we can to this effort because uh, we, we feel it's important. It's, it's, we have a vesting interest in the future of our, con- our country, as we've heard, and we want to help. So we figure out what that message is between Fran's leadership and the leadership of the White House. Let's come up with that unified message and let's extend it because today is the match. And if we light it, we can scorch this earth with our passion, our love, and appreciation for travel. Here's Don Wildman of the Travel Channel on how to tell the story to make study abroad compelling to the next generation. So when we do TV, uh, we tell stories, and each story needs a protagonist. That's when the murky facts and figures and things that we're trying to figure out suddenly come into focus. When we go, oh, that's the story we're trying to tell, and that's the conflict they are they are living, and that's the result they're going for. Did they succeed or not? We're all talking about a protagonist. We're talking about a student, perhaps someone sitting there confused, looking at their future, not knowing what's going to happen. They have a challenge before them, which is a great life to live. This thing we're talking about today is such a key. I mean, I've never stood in a room with more of a, of a choir to preach to. I mean, we're all on this same page together because we all know this happens. You go to a foreign country and you come, become, you come back a better person, assuming nothing horrible happened to you, which does happen. But 99% of the time, you come back going, my life is better. That kid, that protagonist we're talking about needs to learn that. We're all storytellers in this room. That's what we're doing. Framing a story out for them, that's pretty simple to tell. You do something in the midst of your college career or elsewhere that can really affect you personally, but also inc- pay off incredibly well professionally. I've never heard such a, such a case made by a group of people so clearly as we have right now. I'm incredibly honored to be here. I think everyone, if I, if I may speak for all of us here, came from disparate places and, and distant places, and, and, and here we are being asked to serve our country in a way, corny as that may be to some of us. I personally find that an incredibly high calling. So thank you for bringing me here and and inviting me to tell this story, we can do it through television in a very broad way. You guys have a more specific niche audience who actually listen to you on a day-to-day basis. That's an enormous difference between what I do and Samantha does on Travel Channel, which is a vast sort of you know clumsy uh, uh, production to, to bring to the fore. It takes about six months to get a television show on the air. You guys have the story to tell every day. That's exciting. And that's a, a, a real mission that we're all a part of right now, a little army that's now going to go out and tell the story to these kids who need better lives thanks to what we know from this room. Hooray for us. Let's go do it. Thank you so much for joining us for today's World Footprints radio show. The White House Travel Summit offers testimony to the influence that travel has on our lives and its transformative power. I know our experience, having lived and studied abroad, prepares
us for life's journey in ways that conventional pursuits could not. We hope that today's show will help pave the way for your next exploration. If you've missed any part of the show or any of our past broadcasts, visit our website, worldfootprints.com, where everything is archived. You can also hear our World Footprints Travel Report, giving you travel news from around the world in three minutes. And while there, be sure to follow us on your favorite social network at World Footprints. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we wish you blue skies and purposeful travel that leaves positive footprints one step at a time. Hi guys, my name is Sandy Best, the Sandy Best from Lake Louise. Where's Lake Louise? It's in Alberta. Alberta's in Canada, Banff National Park, natural beauty. The only place you should go with is World Footprints Radio, because they spend their time looking at those special places that are not tourist traps, that are not thousands of people. For the best on the planet, go with World Footprints Radio. This has been a presentation of World Footprints Media.